Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest. What a horrible night to have a curse. To Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. I'm Joe. And I'm Sam. And you know what? What's interesting there, guys, is first off, when is it not? What, like, what would be a good time to have a curse? Would not be, Halloween. <laughs> that's true. Okay. But or like, not Friday the 13th either. The yeah, statement I, itself is just weird, right? Like, what a horrible night to have a curse. Every single night would be bad to have a yeah, curse. Yeah, well, I wonder what the, like, Unless, parameters are. Like, if there's, like, if there's good conditions. We're like, oh, this is a great curse night. It just never happens to happen in this game. Hmm. I guess if you don't have plans and you're trying to impress some goth kids. It might be, like, a trip. Like, oh, this is a bad night to trip. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, obviously that's the line uh, in, in the game itself when it turns to night and the enemies get, like, twice as strong or whatever. But otherwise, nothing else really different happens there. And so I don't know about you, but when that text pops up for the first time, I'm expecting like things to go down and then the music changes. Yeah. I mean, you also can't, you're not safe in the towns anymore, which is yeah, still that's not like a say. huge thing. But Oh, right. And they close the doors too to the town, right? right? Yeah. Because uh, it's a horrible night. Yes, right. to, ha- to have a curse. And, the you know, we usually read the back of the boxes for these games. And the back of the box of this one, I found to be very strange. It says, Castlevania was a cakewalk compared to this bloody curse. (laughs) I don't Uh, know what that, you know, like, what is that about? Like, they're they're completely trashing on Castlevania 1 and, uh, you know, cakewalk. Like, there's no vampire pun there. Like, weird. There's a lot of, I mean, if if we could just, just talk about the copy in this game for a bit. Uh... The manual is filled with a bunch of these things too. Like, uh, um, that you know how in Congress they'll say the eyes have it. If, uh, yeah, that's written down when you talk about like the eye enemy in this game, like as if that's that, that's a a feasible pun to use. I, I I really don't know what they were doing while writing about. That's this just game. how people used to talk in yeah. the eighties. <laughs> it's like, hey, you guys want to go to the mall? And they'd be like, yeah. I'm like, all right, the eyes have it. And it's, then it's, it's the same. It's the same thing as uh, uh, that Castlevania was a cakewalk. I, I don't get it. Well, instead of instead of enemies in the manual, it just says Count Dracula's best buddies. <laughs> so right off the right off the bat, I'm like, do they want me to be scared or do they want me to like have a good old time? We should be scared. It's Halloween. Castlevania had that uh, had that tone as well, though, right? Where like at the end, it was revealed that it was all like a movie with Bella Lugosi. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah, forgot about that. So it always had like a bit of camp to it. I should say, as Sean keeps trying to introduce this element to the show, it is Halloween, guys, and that's pretty spooky to it's, be recording it's this episode. Yeah, what this a horrible the, night to have a curse. This is the <laughs> oh, nostalgia, spooktacular, guys. Yeah, and, you know, last episode, I promised that we would get Dracula on the show. <laughs> I think he's a little busy tonight, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's not going to make it here. But, What's you know he what? busy with? Well, it's Halloween. He's busy biting into some girl's Delivering yeah, the presents <laughs> to all the children. <laughs> As if he's the, he's the Halloween Santa Claus, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's actually weird that the Nightmare Before Christmas never took that angle. That, like, Jack Skellington would have beef with Dracula. Yeah, it would have been a cool crap battle. Although I think there are vampires in The Nightmare Before Christmas, but personally, I don't like watching that movie. And I know that's going to put some <laughs> listener on my list, but I don't like watching that movie. Anyway, no Dracula, definitely Halloween, and we're definitely talking about Castlevania Two: Simon's Quest. And if you may recall, some of us here really loved Castlevania One, and yes, we were playing it for the first time ever. So yeah. this is some real genuine stuff. And how many of you just, you know, guys say yes or no, I guess that's the only two choices you can give. How many of you are playing Castlevania 2 for the first time in this episode? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's I'm, not the correct way to yeah, answer that question. But it was the only option we were given. It seemed the most appropriate. Yeah. How many? It, yes. How many? Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, so I goofed a little bit, but it's important <laughs> that people understand that we don't have this whole, like, childhood uh, built around the Castlevania series and especially with the original NES games because the game has a long history, Simon's Quest, you know, of like, I think, first being critically well-received, then like a lot of people just giving up on the game, and then many, many years in the future, finally people start saying, no, this is like one of the worst NES games of all time, and that seems to be like the current narrative. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with the the legend of Simon's Quest, like the the current narrative of like why does this game exist in the form that it does? Uh but I had not played it until uh, it was one of the things that I was sort of looking forward to when we started this podcast was like, oh, someday I'm going to play Simon's Quest because that ha- is so infamous now. Uh but yeah, it's it I'm glad I finally got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I I actually never I I knew that there was like some di- discrepancy over the the status of Simon's Quest, and I I wasn't sure. I actually thought it was going to be kind of like how I imagine Zelda Two will be, where a lot of people don't like it, but maybe if you get past some of the changes, it might be a good game. I'm hoping, uh, just in the way that even uh, Super Mario Brothers Two was, where it's like, oh, it's not. You might be off put because it's different than the previous one, but oh, underneath that, it's a good game, and I was hoping that that's what we would get for Castlevania 2. Um, and it did a little something different. <laughs> yeah. Anything to add there, Sam? I, I mean, before this, I had no experience with any Castlevania game. Didn't know anything about them. I know people really like the PS1 game. Oh, Symphony of the Night, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, that's really all I know about the series. So you hadn't even heard anything bad about this game? No. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective, too, uh, because, I mean, the angry video game nerd, this was his first video ever, was on Castlevania 2, and I think that's kind of what started this yeah, narrative the against... Yeah. Right, right. Well, let's, let's get into it. You know, it, the game takes place seven years after Castlevania 1's events, and uh, you're still playing as Simon Belmont. Uh, it appears that, like, when he last fought Dracula, he now has, like, a curse on him uh, that Dracula has inflicted on him, and he needs to go collect all of Dracula's body parts in order to, like, finish off the curse for good. So in Simon's Quest, you spend about the same amount of time that you do fighting, you're going to spend that exploring these various towns and areas and castles, uh, mansions, if you will, for the smaller ones, you you got to travel throughout the world in search of these five different mansions where Dracula's body parts are kept. And along the way, you're going to pass through these towns that you'll be able to buy new weapons or items. 
and get clues from the villagers. Now, forget everything you know about the game you played this week in preparation for this. That sounds like a pretty cool idea. Yeah. An open exploration for, like, finding Dracula's body parts by talking to townspeople and searching castles. No, on on paper, this is, like, this is above and beyond the narrative and uh, and plot design for a game so far like on the NES. Like that, that is pretty cool if it can be executed properly. Yeah, I think that it has. I, I know we've said this about other games before, but in this case, I think it's like the the most notable instance where it has all of the a bunch of elements that are really cool, and and maybe even would work well together. They're just like not executed or connected to each other properly, you know, like the idea of going through these different areas and and finding all these parts is cool. But like in this game, by the way, this is designed, you need a lot more. You need like a map or something that feels more open and feels a lot less random. And there's there's that's just one example. But there's a lot of things like that where they tried something cool, but they just ended up making it really confusing or, or unclear or tedious. Yes, or tedious. tedious parts, too. Well, you know, it's funny. It's If you played Castlevania 1, and you were excited about that, and then you buy Castlevania 2, when you first start that game, assuming you didn't read the manual and don't understand, like, the larger scope of things, does anyone just try to, like, hit that first guy with the whip, like, as soon as the game starts, you just, like, assume he's an enemy, right? And then all of a sudden, you got to talk to him. Yeah, it took me a while to figure out that I even could talk to him because you have to be like sitting on his face for that to happen. Uh, but so, I mean, yeah, it, the, the fact that we're in a town and you, you seemingly can't interact with anybody because your whip is going right through them, uh, it will take you a moment uh, to to finally figure out what you're supposed to do. Um, because there are doors. You think you can go through doors. The doors are closed. You can only go through open doors. There's a lot of... There's a lot of things that you're going to start learning within the first 10 minutes that you'd think would be a little bit more uh, intuitive, and it's not. Yeah, and, and even the idea of these towns, again, is, is really cool, but the the fact that just getting there is just endless side-scrolling levels, I, it needs something else to make it feel like you're like deciding to go to this town or deciding to go to that town. Otherwise, it's just... All right, I gotta get back to this town. Okay, that was three towns over. I guess I just have to walk in a straight line all the way back to that town. Whereas, like, if you were playing oh, Joe something, hates this game. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I do have a lot of issues with it. Like, I, you know, really, I, I think that, like I said, there's a lot of things that I feel like it was trying to be, trying to be something like a, a hybrid of like a of like a Final Fantasy game and like a side-scrolling game, and I just don't think it pulled it off. But, um, I mean, I, I probably will have some good things to say about it at some point but yeah probably maybe not as many as you guys <laughs> well yeah save them save them well all right if we're talking about grievances though i mean there's also the fact that if you get to a town where you want to talk to people and it's nighttime you just have to wait until they turn into not zombies or whatever those guys are so that that is like yeah, that that's an entire mechanic in itself which i think like a lot of things in this game is a pretty cool idea yeah, like the idea of a of a of a light world and a dark world, uh, and did it before uh, Link to the Past. Yeah, um, obviously they didn't do it correctly because of what <laughs> we're going to talk about. Um, but I mean, when that first happened, and just sort of erasing that AVGN episode out of my mind, it was still pretty interesting. 
Like, what changed? Yeah, and also, like, the transition of, like, the horrible night to have a curse and, like, that that change of, of time and stuff. That's really something that has been played out as, like, this this always happens and the transition is so long before you can do anything. I never really had an issue with it as it popped up. It seemed pretty yeah. infrequent. It's a little overblown. Uh, it, it reminded me a bit of, like, just in Silent Hill, just the changing from uh, Misty World to Otherworld. Uh, everybody is just a is a, is a zombort now. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I didn't really have much of a a personal personally a problem with it. Maybe once or twice I wanted to go to a shop and I couldn't, but that not a big deal and seems like a, a fair punishment in, in the gameplay. But then also I feel like it just didn't like you were saying at the beginning, Mike. It didn't really seem to have much of an effect at all. Like it didn't really didn't seem significant enough. I feel like you could have easily left it out of the game at that point and it wouldn't have made much of a difference to the game. I would have liked to see... I know that the enemies are supposedly like a little stronger, even though it doesn't say that in the manual. Um, but like other... I would like to see like maybe different enemies or something different you have to do at night or just some some reason to feel like that's in the game. Yeah, were- I think that the, the towns have um, wraiths or uh, witches. I don't know what you would call them, but... Zomborts. Zomborts. Okay, there you go. Yeah. That's what they are. So it, at least there's something there, but I totally agree, Joe. I was expecting the re, you know, like the actual cycle of like dimming the screen and everything. That when things came back up, the enemies would look different. Maybe even the land would change a little bit, you know. And you'd have to actually time your playthroughs to be like at night. You know, the lake turns to fire, so I have to, you know, like I can't cross this lake anymore, and now I have to fight off these enemies until I can. Uh, until I can get back to town or something. Like, I expected a little more to change, but I think that this, like, day-to-night transition thing is actually not poorly executed. And I would say that because so much of the game revolves around, like, talking to townspeople and collecting things and buying new things, the fact that, like, at night those things are are inaccessible to you and that there's a direct consequence and that the enemies are stronger, there is a... There is a bit of a survival aspect to that where, you know, health is health is not a, just a commodity in this game. Well, what, one thing that I think would have made this a bit easier to swallow uh, would have been if there was some indicator in the corner of your screen uh, that sort of told you, like, what time it was or how close you were until nightfall and uh, sunrise. Uh, so that you could time your actions appropriately. I don't know if it's like the same amount of time every time. I think it's so, when you pause the game, though, right, uh, Sean? It shows it in the inventory there. What? Time oh, does it? it? Is. Yeah. Oh sh- I thought that was like my play time. I'm like, no, I yeah, yeah. This for four hours. You're right. I stand corrected. But no, you are right. You have to pause for that. There's no way of like being able to like accurately time. You'd have to. You'd have to, like, assess, you know? You don't know yeah. how far you move across a screen in a certain amount of time unless you, like, pause and unpause between screens. And no one's, yeah. no one's doing that in their Castlevania 2 uh, grid map. <laughs> I guess, you know, just uh, make that information a bit more accessible then. The, uh, the timing mechanic did me dirty twice. The first time... Oh, like you just got to the town? Uh, not quite. So I was in the town, and I was... I. I killed a zomb zomble. This is just say zomble. <laughs> As, I, I killed a I killed a zomble, and the guy the guy dropped the heart on the ground, and I went to pick it up, and just before I could get it, it changed to daytime, and the heart went away. So that kind of bugged me. Um, but you know that's that's fine. 
in that same town, I talked to someone who said that if I jump into the lake, some lake during the daytime, then it's safe because I tried crossing it at night and I died. And so I went all the way back to where the lake was. But by the time I got there, it had turned night. So I had to wait for the full cycle just at the lake, just standing there. And then it turned into day and I jumped in and I still died. So right. because you didn't, you know, you, you got what we like to call in this game an untrustworthy villager. Okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is, I think, a, a small part of a much bigger topic that we have to talk about is one, uh, what kind of information you get from villagers and just in this game entirely and what you have to do with that information. Uh, that, that's a huge part of like the legacy of this game. Uh, if we want to talk about that. Yeah, I think um, I think we're good on the day and night mechanic. So I think the question being posed is the whole game is information based, right? Like like the, yeah. there's no outside of like a strategy guide that you might be able to, uh, you know, get on like a Nintendo power issue. Right. There's a, the only other way to beat this game is to talk to the villagers and decipher their clues. Now. How can you trust the villagers if they're not all telling the truth? Or they're poorly translated. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> so that is that is what wound up happening. However, I was kind of shocked to know that in the Japanese version of the game, it's the translations like some of those villagers do lie as well, but it's more yeah. clear that they are lying. Like through yeah. what they are saying. You can tell that they're lying, and then you use those rumors or lies when you find the actual clue books in the mansions. Those will, like, reveal the truths of those people's lies. And so I think that's a much better way. Unfortunately, this is a lost-in-translation thing where Sam was told to jump in the lake during the day, but you also need the blue crystal, and you have to kneel for, like, you have to kneel for like thirty seconds or something, nah, and then it's a few seconds. But okay, yeah. okay. But and then and then it reveals itself that like you can go further down, and like the water basically is drained. I, I think result. that uh, I, I think that my biggest illustration of how obtuse this game is um, was just right off the bat. Like I just started walking to the right. I didn't think I had any money, so I didn't buy anything. Uh, Started walking to the right, got into a mansion, went through all of the stuff, all the enemies with my shitty starter whip. Uh, got the to vampire the killer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, got to the end, saw a glowing orb, tried to interact with it and could not. Uh, it was just that was what I was there for. And I couldn't do anything with it because apparently I needed an oak stake. And I don't think, I mean, like, maybe there's a villager that says that you need an oak, an oak steak to do that, an oak steak to do that. Um, but I ha that, that was the moment that I opened up the strategy guide because I didn't know what I did wrong, didn't know that you needed. And that's just sort of like the theme of this game. Yes, you won't know what you're doing if you, if you play strictly with the villager's information. I will say to the oak stakes defense at least, and and it is it is poor design. I'm not arguing that. The worst thing they could have done though is put the person who sells you the oak stake not in the mansion with you. So oh, yeah. it, at least they were smart enough to be like, 
Well, if people haven't figured it out yet, they might come across this villager in the mansion itself, and that person will ask them if they want to buy an oak steak, and they might just buy it out of curiosity. But you still don't know to then, like, toggle it on and shoot it at the orb. Right. Yeah. And, and there are even other times where you have to, there's a couple times where you have to just go to a random spot where there's just nothing there and drop a clove of garlic, and that's how you progress yeah. the game. And there's no, yeah, I, as far as I know, some guy. yeah, as far as I know, there's no villager that tells you this. There's nothing in the manual. I mean, I don't know how you would do that without a guide. Yeah, and that's that's not like just bombing every wall like in Legend of Zelda. Right. That, that this is a completely different level of ambiguousness. <laughs> and it's also like you're being given information. So if you did write down, let's say you made a journal of everything that everyone wrote you, uh, said to you in the game. If you looked at those clues, some of them would still never line up with anything, and you might think like. Well, I have to do something with this clue. Like it's never, yeah. it's ne- it hasn't had any use yet, and it turns out it just will never have any use. And that is also really bad game design in the sense of fi- misleading your players into thinking they haven't done something in a game that has missable collectibles. Obviously, we don't think this is okay. Like, this is not a mechanic that we're not cool okay. with. So, at, is this the point where all of us kind of said, like, well, we're playing this for the show. We've played 140-plus games at this point. I just kind of need to power on through with the guide. I, I mean, yeah, it was it, it was definitely the moment where I was like, I need the guide. But once I had the guide, um, I was able to sort of enjoy the gameplay as it was since I was being told where to go i know this is definitely not how i see playing games in general like i I, i'm a i mean this is not cool but i was able to experience the uh uh the um the progression the feeling of progression from getting these new items and uh getting a better whip finally and like the gameplay itself felt pretty good uh since that whole like all of the thinking was taken away for me. I don't know if it's a similar thing. I mean, there is definitely something cool then, not, then when you don't have to worry about like missing impossible things. There's something cool about like, oh, I'm actually going from place to place. I'm getting this first because I need to. I got to trade these crystals for other crystals. And it feels like you're really progressing in the way that they intended. Um, I, I do think, though, even then with the guide... It's not, you're not, you you don't use the guide like you would where it's like, oh, where do I go next? Oh, I go to this building, put the guide down and play for a while. Like, and maybe this is just my experience, but like, you know, I, I'm looking at the guide like 
every other second of playing this game because like oh there might be like oh uh, yeah there's a there's a there's a missing block here that i would never have known about or you know so it did feel like there there was just like i was like reading the whole time i'm playing which kind of hindered a bit so i forgot that you had recommended that we read the that we use a guide with this game and so i just kept like looking around things and like double backing different areas and just got very frustrated and then I finally looked up the guide and I remembered, I was like, oh, right. Uh, looked up like what I was supposed to do. And they're like, oh, well, in the very first stage, like you don't have enough money to get the holy water. But if you like uh, if you farm some people for a little bit, then you can buy it anyway. And then at that point, I was just like, I'd kind of had it by then. Sure. Grinding is on your to do list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the first thing you're supposed to do when you play the game. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about the, the grinding in, in a little bit, but I wanted to go back to the strategy guide argument that I, I, I heard two different opinions here from both Sean and Joe, and I think you both agree on the same use case here. But what I found interesting is that, you know, the thing that I go to for strategy guides the most are in, like, very big JRPGs where, like, there are missable things. But that said, you could play that entire game you know like you could let's say final fantasy 7 as an example you can beat final fantasy 7 without ever looking at a guide i feel like most people would be able to but if you might miss a lot of things and that's where like a strategy guide comes into use in this game i believe that a very small percentage of video gamers in history have beaten this game without a guide i mean it had to have happened right it had to have happened but how much work and time I you don't know. know. Like, when was the last time somebody actually did that? Yeah. This would be a 45-hour game, which would make it on par with those JRPGs. But yeah, I remember like in Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, I needed those strategy guys to like find summons or like, oh, this is how you get Yuffie. And like, like these are stuff that you don't need to finish the game. It's just to enhance the experience, get them like just optimize, like optimize the fun out of it kind of. But uh it is not how you get past the first level. Right. Yeah, I mean, I like to use strategy guides relatively sparingly because I, I just like to feel immersed in the game and like, oh, if I miss something, I miss something as long as it's not game-breaking. But, yeah. like, you know, I'll use a strategy guide if it's like, oh, it seems like maybe I missed a line of dialogue that tells me where I'm supposed to go next and I'm just wanderingly, wandering aimlessly around the map. It doesn't feel like I'm supposed to be figuring this out on my own. Then I'll look, I'll look something up. Or if I'm really stuck on something and I, you know, whatever, I'm just feeling like doing it. But for this, it was like, it's almost like the strategy guide is part of the game. It's like you, part of the game is reading the strategy guide while you're playing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, to what Sean was talking about earlier, where he actually started to enjoy the game. I felt the same exact way. You know, it started to feel a lot more like a Castlevania game with some tedious tasks. But for the most part, it it reminded me a lot more of Castlevania 1 now that I just had to like, get to the point where I could start fighting enemies again, and then that that stuff was all good and, and fun. And as a lot of people know, Castlevania 1 is my current favorite NES game. So you could see that I would definitely have a good time. That said, I'm not sure if I'm just having a good time because I tried without the guide first and then moved on to the guide. I think if I went straight to like just understanding, well, this game requires a guide, and playing with that, I think I would have thought that this is like an unnecessary... Uh, step in in the game's design, and so I'm probably going to have to agree. Well, that I that still is... do. I, I mean, right. even as somebody that, that went through the exact same uh, 
the exact same process as you. Like, I, I still think that this, it's inexcusable, but I was able to set that opinion aside, I guess, just during the experience. And so there, there's leveling, too, that we have to talk about. Uh, leveling and grinding, if you will, for hearts and for, like, uh, Simon has, like, a level-up ability in this game. Uh, unlike most RPGs, though, you don't gain experience by killing monsters. It's only when you collect hearts from the monsters that you get the points. So you can't just go around constantly destroying skeletons. You have to hope that they drop hearts. You earn uh, one less experience point than the number of hearts you collected. So I think if it's like if it's a full heart, that's six hearts that go into your currency of hearts. But then. You only get five experience points. And saying hearts over and over again makes me think of Kingdom Hearts and the way those people (laughs) talk. But, uh, you know, once you have enough experience points, you gain a level and you become stronger. And I never really felt like I had to grind for that aspect of the game. It was about collecting hearts in general. Just to to get the money. Just to get the money. And then you just level up as a result, you know? Yeah, the leveling up was a happy side effect. Uh, It was nothing, it was not something that I was working towards because it's, like the attack power is just by buying a new weapon. Like you're not getting stronger that way. It's just, I think you just get more life. Right. And, uh, so I, I wasn't too worried about that. It was, it was just the fact that everything is so expensive that, uh, I mean, you and if you're lost, like you would be without a strategy guide, you will get rich if you don't die too often. But as somebody that is following the strategy guide, you do end up having to grind. Yeah, um, that that's exactly how I felt, though. Like, with without the strategy guide, or even sometimes with it, just there's so much, for better or worse, backtracking and, and going back and forth and, and traveling through these levels that I feel like a lot of the time, not all the time, I kind of organically just had enough hearts that I needed. Like, just because I had been killing things because I've been running back and forth trying to figure out where to go. So So a lot of times... I didn't feel like I needed to grind even for money. Sometimes I did. I watched a, a speed run of this game, and the first thing that the guy does in the speed run is just spend like two or, two or three full minutes just grinding hearts. And that's kind of when I knew that I was in for a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it easy, though, to grind in this game, too. So that's like the unrewarding part of it as well, is that Enemies respawn the second that you leave them off camera. So you can just find like a spot where there's a skeleton to your left and a skeleton to your right and just keep walking back and forth between them. They only take one hit of damage anyway and then collect the heart from them as a result. During the day. Uh, What do you mean? Oh, yeah, because it would take additional strikes. Yeah, right? Yeah, it would. But if you level up, then it wouldn't. They also drop more at night. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Um. I, that that whole uh, concept is is pretty cool in theory as well. It I, like the 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 I, the example that pops to mind right now for me. It's not experience, but like in the new Doom games, uh, when you kill enemies uh, a certain way, they will drop health and ammo and some other consumable. Uh, but you have to go and collect it. Like you can't just kill at range and. Uh, and get better so like it it's a definitely it's definitely a cool thing to implement in a game like this but the fact that you're usually killing enemies that are right next to you anyway it seems like an unnecessary step uh 
to because you're just going to walk across the heart immediately most of the time. So it seems weird that they tied it to that. Um, I think but it's it still a cool feels, idea. I think it just feels good to pick up something also. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. definitely gives you that agency in a way. I actually think uh, a long time ago, a game close to Castlevania's original release, Rygar handled leveling up in a like action-style game a lot better in the sense that attacking things of your, like, as you're going by, things that you kill, you gain experience for regardless. And then once you become stronger than them, you never gain experience for them again. So there's a constant, like, need to progress forward. Like, you won't gain any experience by just hanging around. You have to constantly keep moving. Yes. we were talking about they do have use though outside you know we were referring to them as like a currency and we know that you can buy stuff from villagers but the whole point of that is that you buy the you use the hearts to buy these magic weapons and some of them are familiar from castlevania one there's the holy water again the knife which now has like two additional upgrades which are pretty cool uh i was sad to see that the axe wasn't there and stuff like that but uh most of the magic weapons in this game are pretty fun. Yeah, I, I had a lot. I didn't really use holy water that much in Castlevania One, um, but uh, shortly after that, um, in, in Smash Brothers, I was sort of a. Uh, um, I, I turned into like sort of a Simon main, and uh, the the way that you that you throw it in this game is very similar, and it just reminded me of that because I haven't played Smash in a long time, but. Just the holy water in this game reminded me of being good at Smash. <laughs> yeah, and I think like the holy water in this game is very effective. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know how uh, how you the need rest to spam of you... it a little too much, but yeah, yeah, you could spam it, and it, it, it like locks them in place for a little bit too. But I found all of that stuff to be really fun uh, to use in this case because in the last game in Castlevania One it um, caused you to, like, lose hearts. Like, you had to spend your hearts to, to use those magic weapons. In this game, yeah. once you initially buy them, you can just use them whenever. And we're talking about the holy water, which is great that you can just use that whenever, but it's just nice to have, like, rather than the whip, have some projectiles that yeah. you can use uh, from faraway enemies because a lot of times, in the, especially in the castles themselves, the way the stairs are laid out is not inviting to using the whip. Yeah, there no. are definitely plenty of times where you feel absolutely stuck. Like there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to to kill something without getting hit just because of the placement. So it is nice to have something that you can throw down at someone. 
Yeah, and I I remember when I the first run through without the without the walkthrough, um, just going out into the first area with enemies without the holy water. Uh, you were you you yeah you will just get stun locked probably or and stunned into the water. Um, because you don't you just don't have anything. It's still stupid that they don't communicate perfectly that you need this pretty much to play the game correctly. Um. But once you did, it, it it felt like that progression we've been talking about. Strange that it, there's two different kinds of terms. So there's the magic weapons which you toggle through, and you can only use one of them at a time. And it's the same control as in Castlevania One, where you hold the up uh, arrow on your D pad and press the attack button, and now you do that instead. But then there's also like equipables that you get, like, the blue and uh, white crystal and the uh, Dracula's body parts. Like, I think the uh, the bone, Dra- Dracula's bone or something like that, is a great defense oh, the, boost. Yeah, the rib. The rib. Yeah, the rib, the rib. You right, actually start to hold a shield. <laughs> so, I mean, like, that, that's a cool version of that, but the uh, the rest of them aren't really... There's no context to it. It's just, like, make sure you have this crystal on you where you won't see that elevator. Um Right. Uh, the the bone is cool though. I just wish that they thought it. They, they thought as much into the rest of them as that one. Yeah. You know, to hear your thoughts on the matter from you for a little bit until uh, you know. I think you got like a knock at your door or something. Does he disconnect? Did he disconnect? Sam. All right. Uh, I will edit that out of the show. So that the listeners don't have to hear that. But uh, yeah, yeah, forget that. And that's the magic weapons. I do have to give a special shout out to my favorite magic weapon that was not in Castlevania One, and that is the diamonds. There's the it's a it's a definitely a missable collectible, but it allows you to sh- yeah it allows you to shoot three like I don't know why they call diamonds, but they're like three white circles that are really useful in the mansions because. When they touch a corner or a wall, they just bounce and go to the next corner. But you can shoot three of them at a time. And so if you go in a room that's crowded with enemies, you can shoot those from afar and they can just follow along you. And it's almost like it feels like a shmup power up, you know, where you have these other ships fighting for you. Now, does that go away? Is that a consumable or? No, that is a power up that you buy. Uh, It does follow the same rules, though, where if you launch three of those. Until you exit the room where they are in, you won't be able to launch anything else. Like you won't be able to then like equip the knife and throw the knife. Yeah. So they literally stay on the screen the whole time you're in the room. Like they don't I fade think, or. I think they have a timer. I'm sure, okay. but it's a very very long timer. It's it's definitely not by bounces because you could be in the fights in some of the boss fights, which are just square rooms. And if you launch those, they'll just keep bouncing around the walls and constantly making contact. I thought they were great for boss fights. Huh. Should have found that diamond.
Can we talk and about speak- boss fights? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you, Joe. I was about to say, speaking about boss fights, uh, you know, where were they for the first half of this game? <laughs> right. And were there were there just three in the whole game? Three in the whole game, Joe. Okay, yeah. And the, the first one, like you said, is like more than halfway through the game. Which part yeah. of me thought, oh, I guess that's kind of an interesting way of doing it. It's like you're, you really got to work your way to finally get to the to the first boss. It's like, oh, now it's like it's all downhill from here. Now the the big bads are coming for you. They, they, you've, you've made enough of a stir. Um, but I don't know if you guys noticed that. Unfortunately, you you don't have to fight the bosses. Well, you it's don't funny. Have to you, fight the bosses. You don't you have don't to fight have the bosses. Fight. You just walk past. You them. don't. You don't. But <laughs> I didn't know this. Hold on, hold on. I don't know how true that is about Carmella. Uh, yeah, because you need an item. You need an item from her, right? Yeah, I think you need and, and her, of course her you need to fight Dracula. To but, but you, you have, you don't have to fight the one, right? You and don't I have guess, to fight death. Yeah, and you have the ability okay. to just pass by Carmella, but you're going to regret it later when you don't have the item you need. Okay, but that's, when I when that's I first I knew when I first came across death, I was like, I just intuitively just out of habit, I just saw a doorway and I was like, wonder what's over there, and I just went and I was like, oh, I did it. Yeah, there's the orb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw the stake and that's it. And to be honest, like, Death's power-up that you collect from him isn't, like, all that great. Like, it's useful, but it's not uh, something that you would need to beat the game. So it is kind of funny to imagine Simon Belmont walking into a room, seeing Death, a.k.a. the Grim Reaper, and being like, yeah, now I'm going to just go check out what's in the other room. (laughs) Don't don't follow me. Death swoops down on him. He just keeps stomping with his fists clenched like he does and just keeps walking through. Now, what's funny there, though, Joe, too, since you mentioned that you don't have to kill them, is that there's also no reward for killing them in the sense that, like, when you kill them and go to the next screen and throw the blood stake, uh, the oak stake, into the orb, when you go back to the next room, they reappear. The boss respawns. The bosses respawn. The Death and Carmella will both be there again. You have the option to just walk past them this time, but it's really lazy that they didn't program like a permanent kill state for those bosses. Well, have you ever played a game where you're like going back later and you're like, oh, I really want to refight this boss? Like these guys were ahead of their time. They knew that people were going to want to go fight that incredible death boss battle. Okay, but remember in Castlevania 1 how like, even the bat at the very beginning of the game moved around like a lot. And if you were playing that game for the first time, it would be a tough boss fight. I don't think any of these boss fights are tough in Castlevania no. 2. Especially Carmela, the only one I fought. Okay, yeah. And and she yeah, and she just like stands in the middle of the room and if you you know, if you use your magic weapons appropriately, she won't really be able to do much damage. Right, Joe? Right. Yeah, and then at that point you already have like so much health that even like if you get hit a couple times you have plenty of time to learn where to stand where you're not going to get hurt and and you just keep whipping her like there's not like a there's right. not like a strategy you got to come up with or anything it's just yeah just attack but you still have all that health I, I mean we haven't really talked about the difficulty of this game in general i mean like the fact that there are few bosses means it's not as difficult as as one would imagine but this is still a pretty difficult game in terms of like how often you're going to get hit. That's true. I mean, getting to the boss with a lot of health is definitely a, a big challenge. Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's the first step if you're trying to make this easy boss games. But because uh, I I didn't I, I was very accident prone in this game because uh, in addition to a lot of the obtuseness. Uh, sorry to get off topic of bosses, but uh, is that they'll just have like traps set for you like some of the 
some of the uh, floors don't exist. Um, it, and I think that that's just that's just not cool. <laughs> There's that one wall in the second mansion that you're like, well, where do I go from here? And you could just keep searching the rest of the castle and you'll never find another way to go. And you'll be like, I must be missing an item or something. And then yeah. you realize that that wall's not really there. And if you just jump through it, you can move on. Like, that is just, that's inexplainable to me. Like, I, w- I don't get that because this is the part, yeah. this is the only knocks I had on the original Castlevania is that Simon's quest doesn't learn from any of the mistakes that Castlevania 1 made and then adds all these new mistakes, you know? So, yeah. like, the, the Castlevania 1 had the problem where <laughs> whenever you get hit, you get launched, you know? You get launched back, and sometimes that means falling into a uh, bottomless pit and it, nothing you can do about it. Same thing happens in Simon's mm-hmm. quest. I believe those... Um, you know, you were talking about some tiles aren't there on the floor. I believe that happens in the later levels of Castlevania 1. Uh, but even if it yeah. doesn't, like, that kind of stuff is just, there should be, like, you know, you have all these magic weapons and stuff like that. There should be a magic way to, like, one of the orbs should tell you these aren't real. Yeah, it's really just spawning holy water. I mean, spamming holy water to make sure that you're walking on a floor, but I'm not going to play the whole game like that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think. You know, we kind of we've kind of rushed this a little bit, but I'm happy with it that we're finally up to the part where let's say you beat all the bosses, you somehow got through all the obscure uh, clue books and uh, village um, rumors. Now you have all of Dracula's body parts and it's time to get down to business and go to Castlevania, which is the name of the castle that Dracula lives in. It's not just the name of the game. It's time to go to Castlevania and take this guy down. And it's just like a really long trek to get there. And then you go in the castle and there's not a soul. Yeah, well, at, there. The, at the at like the start of that was seeing the that... like very the empty castle and like it being eerie. Because there was so much to fight throughout the rest of the game, I would have been like okay with like, oh, this is like the eerie lead up. You just go through an empty castle and get to the final boss, and the final boss is really, really hard. Uh, but you know, the final boss being a little lackluster kind of took away from that. But I thought the the empty castle was kind of a cool little. Oh, okay. What was that? Was that Sam? I see. So... Joe. I. Oh. Sean, are you there? Uh, you yeah, were just saying no, I'm, I'm here. And stuff, so uh, I'm not sure, really... like. No, I just, uh, I don't know what happened. Is there, is there a fucking internet outage or well, something? Well, Joe, yeah, I don't know. Um, okay. He had a point about uh, the, it, uh, about the death at the end, though. Uh, not death, uh, Dracula at the end. I don't know what it, where yeah, he was going. <laughs> um, so you're gonna have to, yeah, you're gonna have to explain this to me, because I did not, okay. I did not get to the end of the game, uh, but, I mean the fact that it's a it's an empty castle. I, I was just going to agree that like that is an eerie. Um, that that is that's something eerie. That's something that's. that's but it's spooky. not even like the same Castlevania. Uh, so, it would have been how cool would that have been? Is you get to Castlevania, a, a a place that had been locked off to you, right? 
for, from the beginning of the game because you didn't have all the body parts. Not true, of course, but like imagine if they did it this way. Like the gates are locked, and then finally, once you collect everything, a nice homage to Castlevania One, where you go through like the courtyard and enter, and it looks like the mansion yeah. from Castlevania One. Instead, it's just this really small underground-ish castle that you just like go down a few staircases, and then all of a sudden you're in, uh, you know, you're you're yeah. in Dracula's, uh, I guess, like tomb or whatever. Now that you're describing it to me that way, that is kind of underwhelming. Uh, but uh, yeah, what I'm still kind of confused as what's going on here. No, Sorry, uh, um, uh, go ahead. So look, look, for the listeners, like we'll, we'll find a way to get. Uh, I think it's actually we're like more concerned about Joe than we were about Sam. But it's just because Joe uh, came second. We'll, we'll figure out what's going on here, but um, we're going to just continue the show. I'm not going to be able to edit around this anymore, though. Uh, John, maybe, yeah, yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, this has never really happened here. before. But you know, the the point being is, Castlevania Two, it tries to do something really different, and in the end, just feels like a hodgepodge of a bunch of different games. I mean, take the endings for instance. There's multiple endings. Something like Metroid, where it's based on the amount of time it took you to complete it. But the multiple endings, you know, they're based on how long it takes. Yeah, it's, I, see, that's that that's yes. goofy to me. Like, I, so do we know how? Do we know how long it, uh, you have until you can? I think you have get seven days. Ending? Like, how many? That is ridiculous. Like, I, I guess if you have been keeping immaculate notes through your first forty-five hour playthrough. Like to, the, to this game in the '80s, then maybe you can get that best ending. Uh, but so yeah, I, I've heard that there are different so endings. So the, What's the, the worst like? ending is that uh, Simon Belmont died in the boss fight with uh, with Dracula. Like even though you kill him, <laughs> and the right, rest can you was believe a fever that? Like, even though you killed him in the game and you watch him die and everything like that, it tells you in the blurb like like Simon passed away with Dracula. Okay, like like together the two died. Okay, the second ending, which is uh, just a little bit faster of a of a completion, in my opinion, is worse. Okay, the, at least dying in the fight with Dracula and Dracula dying as well is some kind of cool like confirmation and your like duel of the fates style thing there. It, in the second ending, the middle one, it says that Dracula died. Simon, like, shows up to the grave, right? And you think, like, nice, like, Simon survived, he won it. And then it's like, Simon succumbed to the curse seven days later and died. Like, he he succumbed to his wounds, and that's it. And I I think that that's, that's crazy. Because, well, stop me any minute, John. I mean, you let me know why that's crazy. John? All right. Okay. All right. All right. This is normal. This is normal. We've never had. We've had mics without mic, but now we have mics with only mic, and that's fine. The show's got to go on. It's just, uh, it's just Castlevania, and it's just Halloween, and we are doing a show. Uh, why don't I just, you know, forget the endings and everything like that? The good one is something like Simon lives forever or something like that. I don't know. Let's just talk about um 
you know, the music. We got Bloody Tears and Monster Dance together. Uh, Bloody Tears being the track that's just when you're fighting all the enemies. Monster Dance being the one when it turns into night. Uh, both of them got a Super Smash Brothers remix, which is awesome. So, uh, you know, that's really cool. And it's really weird to just talk to yourself, but I'm sure somebody's appreciating uh, this listen right now. So let's just keep going and let's do uh, sequels and spinoffs, okay? Ever heard of a game called The Maze of Goliath or Gallius? You know, Mike, that's me, right? I always say games wrong. Haha, laugh at me now, Sean. No? Okay. All right, it's all right. Um, Maybe Sam, when he comes back, will put in like a little fail sound effect uh, because he's coming back. And The Maze of Gallius is uh, another game that Konami made that never came to North America, but that is the one that uh, the Castlevania Simon's Quest crew, uh, they give that game all the credit for coming up with Simon's Quest. They said, given the exploration action nature of Simon's Quest, uh, we asked Akamatsu whether Metroid was an influence on the development, and he said, if I had to say, I was thinking more of Konami's own Maze of Goliaths. So there's another weak developer quote, Joe. Aren't you aren't you interested to comment on how we never hear anything interesting from developers? Okay, well that's fine because we have the Famicom Disk System version of Castlevania 2. Uh, it obviously had a saving feature instead of those really long passwords. Uh, and you know what's funny? That's a point with the Angry Video Game Nerd that I agree on. The passwords are very, very long. But there's something about the D-pad in the password screen that just doesn't quite work as well. You have to hit the D-pad like twice to the right or twice to the left to get things to register. So it takes a really long time to put in those passwords. And here's the reason why I would say, yeah, sure, you can save. But I wouldn't play this one at all because the legendary music of Castlevania 2 is ruined in the Famicom Disk System version. Remember how good... Metroid uh, Famicom Disk System version was, and Kid Icarus had that extra beat? Well, not anymore, because the music is so bad in this version, it's like they added extra tracks, but they exchanged it for worse instrumentation. So, uh, I'm sure when Sam's ready, he'll explain why that happened or why they would change the instruments. Okay. World of Power, you guys don't care. You don't care. I've always talked about these World of Power books. If you read them when you were a kid, great. This time, a junior high school student named Timothy joins Simon Belmont, because that's normal. Okay? Timothy Bradley and Simon Belmont team up looking for Dracula's body parts. Definitely read that in third grade. And if Simon's Quest on the NES wasn't hard enough to play, try playing the Tiger Electronics LCD version of the game. That's right. Tiger Electronics released a uh, LCD game version of Simon's Quest that I cannot find anybody who owns it, so I was not able to watch a video of it. But fear not, if you're able to beat Simon's Quest on the NES, I'm confident you'll be able to beat the LCD uh, game version as well. And there's still a challenge for people at home who are looking for like, well, you know, I beat Simon's Quest on Tiger Electronic. What else you got, Mike? How about beating Simon's Quest on your wristwatch? That's right. Tiger Electronics also released a wristwatch that you can wear and play Simon's Quest on in 1988, believe it or not. Well, you know, I guess, can I, I'm just going to take a drink of water since we're here together. 
<laughs> what is a podcaster? A miserable little pile of opinions. But enough talk. It is time for the essential games list. As the essential games list, only vote of the week. I declare Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest officially essential. As for the rest of you, so you like to play Castlevania? Then I curse you to play Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest for a thousand years. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.